Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, can we make sense out of life? And of course, we know that the theme of Ecclesiastes brought to us by Solomon is the fact, can we really make sense out of life? And the fact that, is there really meaning in life? And he says, vanity of vanity, everything's vapor, it's like breath. It goes out and it disappears. We know that there's breath. We know it's there, but we don't see anything. It doesn't really go into anything. We have to breathe in, and we breathe right out again, and we don't see anything happening. But we know that there is life. So what's the meaning in life? And this is a fun book. And one of the amazing things about this book is it's you can't really outline it. So it's like I sit there and stare at it for hours thinking, Okay, so how am I going to draw the points out to make it understandable? And I just stare at it. Have you ever got to that thing where uh, maybe you're, if you're a builder, you've been building and you just stare at this project and you're like, I can't make any sense out of this. <laughs> I have a couple of, uh, I, have a, I have this job at my house and it's in our newly renovated bathroom and we have this empty space, right? Uh, where, and so I've shoved uh, two cabinets in this space and I'm supposed to trim it out and hang these cabinets there and I'm looking at it and it doesn't make any sense how I'm going to do it. And so it's been sitting there for two years, these cabinets sitting there. It's like my wife looks at me, he's like, I'm talking about this new job that you know we're going to start and building these new fences. And she goes, what about the cabinets? And I said, well, I don't know. I, I sit there and I stare at them and they just don't make any sense. And uh, one of these days, it'll just happen. They'll appear hanging on the wall, and we'll make sense of it all. But until now, I just sit there and stare. <laughs> and maybe that's you when it comes to life. You sit and stare at life, and it just doesn't make sense, and it just seems like a fleeting vapor. Like, you know, I go to work, I, and I go home, I go back to bed, I get up, I go back to work, I get up, you know, and maybe you're retired and, you know, you sit there and you do projects around the house and, and you finally fix everything that your wife said to fix and you realize that there's more than you thought and you just keep fixing and you go back to bed, you wake up and keep doing the same thing over and over. Maybe you just, you know, you, I don't know what it is, but you realize that you keep doing the same things over and over and it just doesn't make sense. Solomon seeks to answer these things and he wants us to understand meaning in life and he wants us to understand as the wisest man that has ever lived, the, the, the strongest, um, you know, he's the, the, one of the greatest kings in all of Israel that has ever lived and he expanded the territory farther than any other king in Israel. He, he's done it all. He's experienced all. He's lived it all. He's had every pleasure that you can ever imagine. I mean, he was so amazing that even kings from other areas came to pay tribute to him. He was the wealthiest king known to man. He had it all, experienced it all, lived it all, was the wisest of them all. And he says, yet, but Life is just a vapor. It's nothing. And literally he's saying it's, it's the, the meaningless of the meaningless. It's the vanity of vanity. It's all vanity. It's, it's, it's nothing 
out of nothing and it's all nothing. Wow. So how do we get any meaning out of that? That seems like a tall order this morning. And that's what Solomon's talking about. He is on a completely different dimension in his thinking. He is the philosopher of the philosophers. And I don't know about you, but philosophy just hurts my mind. So if you read through Ecclesiastes and it hurts your mind, well then, welcome to the club. Because that's what it does. It challenges us. It challenges our presuppositions. It challenges the things that we are running after in life. It's saying, really, is everything that you're seeking in life, does it really matter in the end? And if that hurts your thinking and it it really, you don't want to think about that, well, we're going to be challenged by it from the Holy Spirit this morning. So let's pray and then let's read this amazing poem that Solomon gives us. And he gives us some really neat things. He's going to give us some four clues that lead to understanding life. How we can answer, can we really make sense out of life? And he's going to give us four clues and we're going to look at those. So let's pray and ask God to encourage us to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us His words this morning. Lord, we ask for your wisdom. We don't have wisdom. Wisdom comes from you. It comes from above. Lord, you, you gave that wisdom to Solomon, and, and Solomon experienced all of life, and, and even while experiencing all of that wisdom, he still failed at many different things. He experienced all of the pleasures, all of the sin. And even while he was wise, many of us seek wisdom and we still struggle and we wonder why. Lord, may the clues that you have given us in your unfailing word give us understanding and insight into your strength, your power, your meaning in life. May you lead us and guide us Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you that you can penetrate our hearts. You can open our ears to understanding. You can give us the insights of the ages so that our boasting is not in ourselves, but it is in you. And may we leave today boasting in our Savior. Thank you for what you have given us in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the times that we stand in uncertainty, and when we look at all of life, and we look at what is before us in each step that we take tomorrow and the next day and the next week, Lord, may these words that you give us this morning help us in our understanding and give us a light in our path to direct us our heart, and our mind through Christ Jesus, our Lord. May we find peace in you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you can tell, my voice is already starting to go. Uh, That's one of the things that happens when I get tired. My thyroid presses against my voice box. So if it sounds sounds groggily, I'm not sick. I'm just, it's my thyroid. (laughs) And because I was outside talking doing what I love the best, and uh, one of the things is, is there were so many people willing to talk last night, and it was so amazing. My challenge is to you, 
as we dive into these words, what is the meaning of the parking lot party? There's really no meaning unless you talk about Christ. My challenge to you is, is one of the reasons I find joy in the parking lot party and, I've, and you know that I make much about Christ and uh, the parking lot party really isn't meaningful unless we do talk about Christ. One of the neat things is, is when I go into town, uh, I say, hey, yeah, what are you looking forward to? And they're like, and they talk and they say, well, you know, there's that church and I hope they do that party. And uh, the challenge for you is the parking lot party has not ended. My challenge is you, is you, you go to the store, as you go out and you see people with kids and say, hey, did you, you know, what, you know, is there anything that encouraged you uh, over the Halloween time. See if any, you meet anybody that came to the parking lot party and see if God will lead you in talking about Christ. I guarantee the best blessings that we can give is not the candy, it wasn't the party, it's the after party. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you know what after party means. It's the extended party and it's only if we talk about Christ. May we boast in what God has done. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that uh, the coming weeks. I, I get more excited when I get a chance to talk to somebody on the street and they talk about the parking lot party because I get to talk about Christ. So you know, we handed out more tracks this year than probably the last two years combined. Uh, more tracks. We may not have handed out more Bibles. The way we did it with the flow um, didn't lend itself to really hand out the Bibles uh, the way we did the last few years. But I tell you this, there was more conversations about God this year than any other time that I've witnessed. And so it was an amazing, an amazing blessing. Well, let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Let's dive into our text this morning and let's look at this amazing poetry of wisdom. Verse 1, it says, The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saying says the preacher vanity of vanities all is vanity what does man gain by all the toils at which he toils under the sun a generation goes a generation comes <laughs> but the earth remains forever contrary to what we hear about science today <laughs> when the when the earth is when the earth is time to die by the way god will destroy the earth it, we know it says it'll go up in flames not yet, but it'll happen. So, but the earth remains forever. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down, and hastens to the place where it rises again. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circles, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. All things are full of wearisome. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with the seeing, nor is the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which as it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of the former things, nor will there be any remembrance of the later things yet to be among 
those who come after. <laughs> There's nothing new under the sun, he says. It's quite an amazing piece of poetry. And in, tucked in all of this, in what the, the preacher is telling us, what Solomon is trying to say, he's trying to direct our attentions to the fact of the meaning of life and the fact that there's all these things that are just vanity. They're just vapors. And he gives us four clues and leads us to really understanding life. And as we go to this, and as we look to this, and we say, well, why should we even listen to the preacher? Why should we make much of this? And why is the he important? And if you turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 9, we get a sense of this. And, and, uh, and uh, I'm going to kind of launch us into what, what Rob is going to share from us from a, Psalms, uh, from a psalm next week. And about this wisdom thing. The wisdom of Solomon. And what's amazing in, in verse 9, in the fact that Solomon is talking to us beyond what we can imagine. And he says, So I became great and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. In all the mistakes that Solomon made, in all of the sin that he was, that he indulged his life in, in all the women that he married. He had just thousands of, of, of wives. I mean, you can think about all of the trouble that he got into. I mean, here's the wisest man in the world, and yet he didn't, he didn't follow God's plan in marriage, and yet he got himself into a lot of trouble. Because of all those wives we read in the Chronicles and in Kings, we he invited all of these idols into his house. He invited all of this trouble, all of this sin. Yet in all of his wisdom, he still failed. And yet in all of his money, he still failed. All of his possessions, all of the work, all of those things. And he still failed. What's amazing is in 1 Corinthians that we read this morning and we heard it says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the world's standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. In fact, Solomon was of noble birth. Solomon had great power. Solomon had great wisdom. He never lost it. And so at the end of his life, as he reads, or, and he's thinking about life, he writes through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's wisdom, he gives us Ecclesiastes, and he gives us some amazing wisdom. And yet, even though life is like a vapor and is fleeting, Solomon still had all of his wisdom. That should tell us something, by the way, as we launch into this. Wisdom does not mean a perfect life. As we look at the intro to this, and, and so yet, and I'm asking and the preacher is asking us, first of all, to listen to the preacher. Listen to me. I have all my wisdom. I found the conclusion of all that has been said. Why should we listen to the preacher? Well, he hasn't lost his wisdom. And he's experienced everything in life. And so he understands the folly of life. He's experienced it all, good, bad, and ugly. Listen to the preacher. 
If you turn uh, to a couple different verses, we know that he says in verse 12, or chapter 12, you turn all the way to the very end. By the way, Ecclesiastes is written with the end in mind. From the very beginning, he's writing with telling us the, the answers to everything. And he says, look, I've experienced everything. The preacher sought to find words of delight and upright. He wrote the words of truth in verse 10. The words of the wise are like goads and are like nails firmly fixed. They are all collected. Verse 12, he says, my son, beware of anything beyond these things. He's, he's taught all knowledge. He's, he's sought all these things. He said, be weary uh, of many books. There is no end. There's, you can seek wisdom to the nth degree. You'll never find the end of wisdom on the earth. But in verse 13, he says, the end of the matter is this. All has been heard. And he says this, fear God, keep his commandments. Very simple. For this is the whole duty of man. I have found all that there is to life, and it is this, fear God and keep his commandments. Listen to the preacher. He has experienced it all. He has gone through it all. And he's telling us it is all wearisome. Don't neglect the wisdom that God gave the preacher. I believe that God allowed Solomon, in fact, prompted Solomon to experience of all these things in life so he, as the wisest man that has ever lived, can give us the conclusion to everything that people seek under the sun. By the way, if you turn back a few pages in, in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 9, he says, Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let not your heart, or let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes, but know that for all of these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body of your youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And you know what's amazing is, is he keeps saying, he goes back, listen to the preacher. Who is supposed to listen to the preacher? By the way, almost every command to listen to the preacher in Ecclesiastes is written to the word youth. Youth, as you look at this, this is written to you. The commands are to you. By the way, if you're a young married or young adult or even as old as me, the term youth there is a Hebrew term for those that are typically 40 and under. So if you thought that, you know, you're in your 30s and you thought, oh, this isn't for me. No, this is for you. By the way, if you are over 40 and you think, Oh, I've escaped all of these commands. No, you're supposed to lead the generation to those commands to understand the true meaning of life. The book of Ecclesiastes is meant for us to listen. It's meant for us to lead. So if you're in the 40 and under generation, it's for you to pay attention. Don't overlook the meanings that the wise preacher gives to you and those of you that are over 40 lead the younger generation back to the fact that we should fear God 
and follow Him. Love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Listen to the preacher, he says. The second second insight or the clue to understanding life is this. Lasting value does not come by man's or through man's labor. Go back to verse 3 in our text. He says, what does man gain by all his toil at which he toils under the sun? Literally, he's saying this. What advantage is it to labor for all your life? What do you get by laboring? Moms understand exactly what the preacher is saying here. Man, moms are, understand this truth. What advantage is all the labor, right? Moms make sure and clean the kitchen after, you know, get the kids, try to get the kids, try to get the dads. It's vanity, right? It's all vanity. She goes in after everything is supposed to be clean, and what does she do? (laughs) She cleans up. She goes in, and she washes the counter. She washes the floor. She washes the table after it's supposedly been washed. She makes sure that everything's picked up, and in our house, she makes sure that things are put up on the couches so the dogs don't get up on the couches so she doesn't have to re-vacuum the couches. Right? She, right? She, she picks up after everybody and she gets up in the morning and lo and behold, what is she doing all over again? Picking up everything all over again. Vanity of vanities. Moms understand this, what the preacher is saying. Lasting value doesn't come by our labor. It, we labor and we labor and we labor and we keep doing the same thing over. Not to mention moms are chasing toddlers, right? Mediating fights and going grocery shopping. Can you imagine doing that with twins? I mean, it's, it's a blast. Just ask Garrett. I don't see Garrett in the back. Maybe he was walking around with my twins last night. Maybe he's a little too tired. <laughs> he was chasing. It was fun watching him chase my twins. He goes, I've learned what a parent is for toddlers. A parent becomes a backpack. That's what he determined last night. So, and I'll tell you the other thing he determined about taking care of kids, but you'll have to ask him, what is the second thing you learned? Um, and then challenge him over it. Men, men, you can relate exactly what the preacher is saying. Lasting value doesn't come by man's labor. You go to work, right? You go to work and you toil, you, you commute back and forth, you come home, you work at home, you fix things at home, and what do you do? You go to bed and you wake up and what do you do? You go back to work. It starts all over again. And you come back home and it's like, didn't I just fix that? I was like, my stupid pigs. You know, they break everything. You fix them. You get them a nice feeder trough and you get it all fixed up so they can get as much food that they want. And what do they do? They break the stupid trough and you have to fix it all over again. Either that or they found a new thing. I've never experienced this. This is a new one for me. They sunk my tr- the trough in the mud. I was like, where is the trough? It was... I found it when I walked out with my boots. I was like, oh, there's the trough. (laughs) It's like, okay. Work exposes a lot about life. It gives us a real clue. We work for money. We work for things. Work is for money. We use money for three basic things. Man, when we work for, and we labor, we labor for a money or to be able to transaction, make a transaction, to trade. But basically, work produces three things. 
we, if with money, we, um, we produce three basic things, and that is we work to eat, to, to be able to buy food to eat. We work to eat. We work to own possessions. And we work to gain money so we can do things. We can go on trips. We can do things with the money, right? Work exposes a lot. We work to eat. Now think about this. Think about how futile we work to eat. And you eat. It doesn't matter if it even tastes good, right? You put it in your mouth. You chew it up. You eat. And where does it go? Well, we're going to talk about that. It just goes out, right? <laughs> and what do you have to do? You have to start the whole process all over again. It doesn't even matter if it tastes good. We have to keep eating if we want to live. It's the circle of life. It exposes a lot about life. Lasting value does not come. Lasting value does not come. Look at verse 3. It says, what does man gain or profit by all this? You can't. There is no gaining. It just keeps going, this endless cycle. How about what you, you work to possess things? Think about that. The temple, Solomon, the wisest man, had the most money. He built the most beautiful, ornate building known to man. But where is it? It's gone, right? You think that the wisest man on earth had the most profit, had the most wisdom, had the most understanding. He built the greatest building known to man, and you would think that it would last, don't you? But think about it. What we work to possess doesn't always last. Didn't Jesus say that, right, uh, rust, robbers? How about, I mean, you, you buy something and what does it do? It rusts, right? We live in Humboldt County. You buy a tractor, what does it do? It rusts. You buy a lawnmower, what does it do? It rusts. It doesn't even matter if you wash it out, it rusts, <laughs> right? You paint it, it rusts. Yeah. What, and, and if it doesn't rust, you say, oh, pastor, I keep it perfect. Robbers come and steal it. Or let's just put it this way, you die. Where does it go? You don't even have it anymore. It's gone. Work exposes a lot about life. Christ talked about this when he was talking to the greedy, rich man by declaring not even when one has abundance does his life consist of his possessions, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. This is the same message here in Ecclesiastes coming out loud. No real profit ensues from material wealth. You can seek and labor as hard and get as much money as you can, and it will not end. It never ends. By the way, the author, you know, Solomon and the preacher here, the author does not say that man's labor is useless. That's not the point. But that in and of itself, there is no end. There is no eternal value. While the sun runs its course with unfailing regularity, it keeps going around and around. The doings of men seems altogether changeable and variable. The work of our hands is good if done in the Lord's service, but the misery and hardships connected with it set the imprint of vanity upon the entire living of life. 
we learn. Solomon gives us four clues and we, we listen to the preacher. We learn that a clue is that lasting value does not come from labor. The third one, and I hit the wrong button. Ah, I hit the wrong button. Just say, we learn. Thank you. I, I love the fact that we have somebody smarter than me up there. <laughs> we learn from creation. Did you see what he says here in verse 4? It says, generation goes, a generation come, but the, the earth remains forever. Using several examples, the preacher observes that nothing seems to ever change very much. Right? We live and we die. But where's the earth? Still here. Yeah, you know, it's amazing. We have birth announcements. If you still get a paper, and then right on the other side of the page, we have obituaries. The earth. The trans, there's a transit. You know, we're just this going along for a ride, but it's not forever on the earth. But the earth's still here. A generation goes, a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. You are born into this world, you live your life, and then you die, but the earth keeps right on going. Right? We, we, we walk around on this earth, but what, the, the sands of time blows over our footprints, and then it's all gone. I mean, there, think about how many... I mean, right now, more than ever in this generation, how many of the founding fathers do people remember? I mean, just look at the society around us. Do they remember the history of our founding fathers? Do they remember the history of the mistakes that we made? We're making the same mistakes all over again. Right? We come, we go, we're forgotten, but the earth is still here. How about the sun? It says the sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises again. I don't know about you, but I was, it was so beautiful this morning. I, have a, I walked out, my, I had my cup of coffee, which I put somewhere. I know Lisa will find it for me. So <laughs> I love our janitor. She always brings me my stuff back. <laughs> so I, I, I grabbed my cup of coffee, I brewed it, I sat there and I walked out and there's the mountain and there's the sun coming up. I'm guaranteed that every morning the sun's going to come up right there. I don't always get to see it, though, because we live in Hubble County. It's usually cloudy. But, yeah, it comes, it goes. Here's the deal. The problem with daily living, the sun goes up, the sun comes down, is that it's always daily. So are the problems. How about the wind? Okay, it says the wind blows to the south, it goes to the north, and around and around it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Yeah. There's a movement of wind. If you're a scientist, this should make sense to you. By the way, it says the wind blows. South it goes. All around it goes. The wind on its circuits. Do you know what it's talking about? It's describing. It's describing the jet streams around the earth. You know the wind flows, the wind patterns? Solomon is displaying that he's thinking on a whole different level right here. By the way, if you look up, when were jet streams discovered? 1920s. By a a Japanese scientist, Oishi. Uh, 
But they say that it wasn't really proven until World War II in the 1950s with the fighter pilots. But the first time that somebody even mentioned it were in the 1920s. Here's Solomon thousands of years before telling us what they think they discovered in the 1920s or 1940s. Wisdom on display. Wisdom on display. He doesn't stop there. Look at verse 7. He says, the rivers, how many of you ever thought about it? Why in the world all this water flows in the ocean, but we're not swamped? I should have water. I should have a beach right on my property, right? Because we keep, the nooksack keeps flowing, right? Unless they start logging again, and then we have the big jam, right? But, right, the water, where's that, all that water going into the ocean? Where, why aren't we over? Isn't God amazing how he created the world? It says in verse 7, it says, All the streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they flow again. What is he talking about? Do you know that Solomon's describing the hydrocycle? By the way, if, if you don't understand it here, you can look at Isaiah 55. Isaiah talks about the hydrocycle there. The water cycle, the hydrocycle, the water cycle. Job 38, by the way, talks about it. Also, Psalm 104 talks about the, the water cycle. By the way, did you know that they first believed that the water cycle or the hydro cycle was first published or asserted? The assertion was in 1580s by a Bernard. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. It was like Paisley, Paulizzi. I don't know. I didn't take phonics. <laughs> I need to go back to... To Jim's class. So, but here's the thing is, is here we have thousands of years again before science has discovered the hydrocycle. The water goes to the, it flows through the river, goes to the ocean. What does it do? Is it evaporates, goes, creates the cloud flow, goes to the wind circuit, it goes up to the mountains. What did the mountain, mountain creates this up pressure? Of pressure was the waters do it. The water hits that up pressure that's created by the mountains. It lets loose all the water in the, in the clouds, and the clouds jump all that water, and it goes down into two places. It goes into the river and goes down under to create a water flow underneath underneath parts of the, uh, the mountain and our flow, and we get aquifers from it. And where we get our water today, well, hopefully soon from the aquifer. <laughs> but, you know, they, they hit the aquifer here in Ferndale to redo our water system. You know where they tested that water? You know where they found it came from? From the mountains in Canada. We're stealing their water. It's kind of cool. I get to tell my mom that every time I talk to her. Hey, mom, do you know we're stealing your water? <laughs> But it's, this hydro cycle is right here, wisdom on display. Why do you think Solomon is telling us all of this? Science will leave you empty. It happens, it comes, it goes. We need to learn from creation. Science tells you how something works, but it doesn't give you meaning. Solomon understood how everything... Do you understand what he's saying? Is I understand how the earth works. We come and go. The earth stays the same. The science behind earth, he's talking earth science to us right here. Science that was not discovered until thousands of years later. He leaves us with another clue, and this is the last one, and then we'll close. He's saying, 
The other clue is to live above novelty. You know what novelty is? Is looking for things that are new, novel. Live above the novelty. All things are full of wearisome, he says in verse 8. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied. We're always looking for something new. That's one of the follies of the church. The church is, a lot of churches are always looking for something new and great. And they forget about Christ. Verse 9. What has been is what will be. And there is nothing new. You know, what has been done has been, will be done. There is nothing new under the what? There's nothing new on earth. I'll never forget some, we were at a camp and the camp director comes up and says, man, we need a game right now. And I'm like, cool. All right. I'm good under pressure. I hate leading games. <laughs> but I am good under pressure. I think it's some of the craziest, ridiculous things. I'm like, here's what I want you to do. Just throw all the guys, create a big pile, make them like grab onto each other, and then tell all the girls to go pull them apart. Yeah. And they're like, what do we call the game? I was like, well, it's, it's basically steal the bacon, but we just did it with guys. And we just basically beat up on the guys. There's a chance for the girls to beat up on the guys. I, I, I've never seen the game, never heard of the game. I just said, I said, well, what are we going to call it? I said, call it uh, pulling them apart. I said, oh, and they loved it. They thought it was great. They wanted to do it every day. Girls just thought it was amazing. It's time that they could just grab the legs, grab the arms, and just rip them apart. And we had girls, we had girls pulling the guys like wishbones. It was funny. We were like, no, no, no. <laughs> poor girl, poor guy. But here's the thing. This pastor's wife that was in our church, she was in her 80s, and she goes, hey, my, my, my husband made this manual for working at camp, you know, and, and he had passed away a few years before that, and he says, hey, it's, do you want this camp manual? You know, he, he made it, it has a bunch of interesting things in it, would you, would you like? I was like, yeah, that would be amazing. I could read through, I could discover new things, right, that I can, you know, call my own. Yeah. <laughs> forgotten things, right? I could see all these cool things. I was reading it, and I'm reading through the list of games, and there's pull them apart. I'm like, no. What? Put the guys in the middle of the field, tell them to link up, and then tell the girls to have at them. You rip them apart. I'm like, what? I was like, I thought I created the game. There is nothing new under the sun. We need to live above the novel. No matter how men may change their environment or their circumstances, and they think they place all the newest achievements in science and inventions, and they put them into service, whatever it is, the misery and the toil of life is always going to be the same. There's nothing new. People forget. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus said, But concerning the day and the hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven know the time that the Son of Man will appear. But the Father knows. For we, for as were the days of Noah, so shall it be also at the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days... Before the flood, they were eating and they're drinking, marrying, they were giving in marriage. And to tell the day when Noah entered the ark, 
and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So it will be with the Son of Man. It's going to be exactly the same. He says, people have forgotten. God's coming, just like it was in the day of Noah. We've warned them. We've told them it's coming. Christ is coming. People have forgotten. He says it's going to be exactly the same way. Conclusion is this. We have these clues to understanding life. Listen, hey, we need to listen to the preacher. He has shown his utter wisdom in this poem that he's given us. Lasting value doesn't come from our work and labor in life. We need to learn from the, from the creation. He gave us earth science. He showed us basically everything we need to know about earth. We need to learn from the creation. And we need to live above what we think is new and striving for that which is new. And that is this, is that nothing brings you to resolution. There is nothing on this planet under the sun, nothing new, nothing in creation, nothing in your labor that is going to bring you resolution in your life. When everything around you seems meaningless and repetitious, Christ is the meaning of life. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. When you are weary from the wearisome of the nature of just living life, Christ says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. When you can't get any satisfaction from living life under the sun, we can find great satisfaction in the Son of God. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And going back to what we read at the beginning of the service in 1 Corinthians, for the words of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God's going to destroy the wisdom of this age. Power and wisdom is solely in what Christ did on the cross. Verse 30 in 1 Corinthians 1 says, And because of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. There's no wisdom in the earth. There's no wisdom in our labor. There's no wisdom in anything under the sun. There's only wisdom and power in the cross, in Christ. He is our righteousness. Verse 30 says, Righteousness and sanctification and redemption come from Christ. Being right is only found in Christ. In fact, being made right and finding that which is right is only in Christ, he says. We are only redeemed because of Christ. So it is written, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Can we find meaning in life? No. But we can find meaning above the sun in Christ, in the things of God. It's interesting. He says that there's nothing new under the sun. But if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, if you've believed in Christ, you've, he, says, he says, repent, die to yourself, and believe and follow me. Simple. Trust in Christ and what he did on the cross that he paid for your sins. He paid for your life to save you from your sins. He said, 
we see here that the, the, the preacher says there's nothing new under the sun. But in Isaiah and Revelation, we are known that we are given a new name in Christ when we come to Christ. In Christ, we have a new community. We're adopted into the family of God. Psalm 91 tells us that when we are in Christ, when we're in God, we have help, a new help from angels. We have new commandment to follow God, to love God, to fear God, to keep His commandments. We have a new covenant. We have a new promise that if we put our faith and trust in God, that He has done everything that we need for life in godliness and is found in Christ Jesus who's died on the cross for our sins. We don't need anything else but Christ. Ephesians 4 tells us we have a new nature because of Christ. We have a new way of living. We have a new nature we can live above the novel, the, all the, those that seek new. We have only the only new thing, and that is Christ. We are a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. All things have become new in our life because of Christ. Revelation 21, 5, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We can't make sense of life, but God does. The challenge to you is, are you been seeking life under the sun? Are you been seeking answers to life on earth? Stop. The wisest man on earth did that, and it led to nothing. It led to nothing. It just led to this. Spinning your wheels. It may get you around the earth, but you find nothing. It doesn't get you anywhere. There's nothing new under the sun. Turn to the living God who is above all things. It says that Christ, God made the earth to be Jesus' footstool. Why are you putting all your efforts on something that Jesus just puts his feet on? I don't know about you. I have a thing with feet. I hate them. I don't like feet. Don't touch my feet. I don't want to touch yours. Gross. <laughs> I don't know where you've walked. I don't care what shoes you wear. <laughs> right? At our house, we have to wear boots because you don't know what you're going to step on at our house. But here's the thing. Why do we put all the meaning of life on this earth? It's time for us to put everything on Christ. What are you seeking? Are you seeking treasures here? One day it's going to be burnt up. Seek that which is above. Put your focus on Christ. Paul said, the one thing I do, forgetting all that is, I don't care what your past is, put it behind you. Put your focus on Christ. Love Him. For He died for you. He loves you. Don't put all your effort on this world. It's just vain. It's vanity. It's nothing. But Christ is everything. What can you give away that's worth more than Christ. You can you could get you could earn billions of dollars and give it away, and it still doesn't even come close to the value of Christ in your life. It is He is everything. Give it all to Him. And as you're giving it all to Him, talk to people about Him. That'll mean more in eternity when you see people that have come to Christ because you talked about God. Because you shared the good news that Jesus died for you.
that he paid for your sins. He was the go-between. He stood in between God's wrath. He, he is our, our shield, our defender. He prays for you. He intercedes on our behalf. Will you give your all to him? Lord, I thank you for our time. Man, I thank you for sharing this wisdom because I am not that wise. I could not have taught, taught earth science this quickly this morning. We thank you for your wisdom that comes from above. Thank you that it never shifts, it never changes. What we know today that is true about you is still true today. It never changes. It'll be true tomorrow. Thank you that we can trust in the living God. Lord, I pray that if there's someone here right now that we could take this time to invite them to turn their life over to you. They've never given their life to you. They've never, the Bible says, to repent. And believe that means to turn away from you. Your way of thinking to say, no, my life is filled with sin. I'm not good. But Lord, you are. And so I'm turning back to you and I'm telling you that you are good. My life is not good. I am a sinner. I need a Savior and I'm going to give my life to you. My life is nothing. But Lord, you are everything. I need you. I repent. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting in what you did on the cross when you died for my sins the perfect Lamb of God that never sinned, simply dying so He can take away our sin to pay for it. So that way we never have to experience God's full wrath in our life, eternal wrath, that wrath that we would experience in hell for eternity. Lord, You are returning very soon. I pray that if there's someone here that needs to turn their life to You, that they would do it now, that they would just stop fighting and start following you. The wisest man on earth said this, fear God, keep his commandments. That they give their life to you, that they would honor you, they'd fear you more than they fear this world. Stop living for themselves and just turn their life over to you and start following you in the new life that you give them. The new strength, the new power that the gospel, the good news that you came to save us to pay for our sins, gives us great power and wisdom in life to see above all of the futility of this world. No one in this world can see it except those that have been saved from this world, from our sins. Or the rest of us, I pray that they would be invited right now to stop focusing on the, the simple circumstances of life. Look above it all. Stop looking for new things to make meaning out of life labor, work, whatever it is, the science of life, and they'd realize it simply is all about you, that they would trust you, follow you with their life. Lord, we thank you for this time. Whatever, Lord, you can do in the hearts of men through live stream or here today, these men, these women, these young, these young people, Lord, challenge them, invite them to make a decision to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.